I caught up with Dr. Marcus Newberry as he was starting his day. I'm going to take my dog out for a walk as soon as you and I get finished. <laughs> it's, the little, it's the little things in life. The person credited with starting one of the largest 10K races in the world 44 years ago is still focused on improving lives. She's a little cavalier, and uh, so she's no trouble, and nobody's ever afraid of her. And she's afraid of her own shadow. The retired physician and professor promises to be at the 44th annual Cooper River Bridge Run being held in September this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Newberry, you know, again, I appreciate you um, giving me some of your time today. Really, um, it's very kind of you to even consider speaking with me. Your wife passed away recently, and I'm so sorry for your loss. I never had a chance to meet her, but I'm sure she was a very special person. Is there anything you'd like to say about your wife? Oh, other than when we moved to Charleston, which was in 1970. You know, we basically moved in, got settled, and we had just gotten through a nomadic period in our lives when I was in training, you know, and she was taking various jobs. She was a nurse uh, to help support us. And we finally got to Charleston. We figured, well, this is going to be our permanent place. And so we settled out and started developing a life. And, and we both really enjoyed getting involved in the community. And so... My wife was president of the Charleston League of Women Voters. Um, she managed the absentee ballot precinct for the 1980 presidential election. She was the uh, city women's amateur golf champion in 1983. <laughs> and she established the women's intercollegiate golf team at the College of Charleston and coached wow. it for nine years. So, you know, she was pretty active, got a lot of things done, had a lot of friends. And, you know, and when something like that happens at age 82, that you pass, is sad. Mm -hmm. So not tragic like it is at 52 or 62. Mm -hmm. You know, so she felt like she had a good life and, um, you know, no regrets. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you want to talk about the bridge run? Well, I do want to talk about the bridge run, but I'm so happy that you shared that memory of your wife. And I didn't realize um, the mark she'd made on the community, certainly a very lasting one. So thank you so much for sharing that. Also, she was a runner. Oh. And we both, after we got to Charleston, um, you know, we've been pretty much, I said, nomadic and so forth, but we ran some. But when we got to Charleston, we really got more serious about it and we ran. And she, she actually ran two marathons. And uh, uh, I had polio when I was young, and it left me with a little bit of a deformity, which made running long distances a little bit more difficult. So I never got I, a half marathon <laughs> as far as wow. I ran. <laughs> and and uh, she always lorded it over me. needed to develop a, um, something to promote public health. 
I had a friend, uh, Norman Walsh, who was a practicing surgeon in town. And Norman had actually run the Cooper River Bridge when you had to run on that teeny tiny little sidewalk. Oh, yeah. Three-lane bridge. Uh (laughs) You had to admire that. Uh, There was also a guy named Brian Smith who was a nephrologist over at uh, uh, the uh, VA hospital in he used to run in from the Isle of Palms uh, to his work, and he ran across that thing. Oh. But Norman was the one that had a dream about, you know, the. he said, well, if you're going, he said, if you're going to promote a run at Charleston, he said, you ought to do it, do it over the only mountain in town. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, really, that was really the start of it. The first conversation started in the mid-1970s? I think that was about 75, 76. Norman had actually been interviewed by the newspaper, and there had been an article in the newspaper of Norman talking about, you know, how it'd be nice to have a bridge run. But you got to remember that back in those days, we had the old, old bridge, which they had even, you know, banned truck traffic on. And when you do something like the bridge run, it's not a single effort. Mm-hmm. It is a community effort, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know. And so the idea was we had to get the community involved to make this thing successful. And I just had it right down the list because after Norman planted the idea, I talked to Keith Hamilton about whether he would want to uh, be the race director, and he agreed. Then I went to see John Conroy, who was the chief of police in Charleston. <laughs> and John was an ex-Marine who was also a runner. He's passed now, but mm-hmm. uh, but it was good. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, we'd be happy to support that. He said, of course, you know, we don't control the bridge. And I said, yeah, but when we get off the bridge, we're going to be in Charleston streets. Right, right. <laughs> and, without, and without you guys, we don't move ahead. So mm-hmm. and John and I went together to see Joe Riley, and I figured... Might as well take John with me because Joe's going to want to know what the police think about this. Right. Good to have the chief already there. Right. Joe, of course, Joe was very enthusiastic. And then uh, then Terry Hamlin uh, was the president of the Charleston Running Club at the time. And I thought, well, that'd be an important group to have on board. Harry didn't even put it to a vote. He just, he just said, we're in. The reason that MUSC would even get behind something like this would be to promote fitness and health in the community. And, um, and so that was our message is, you know, let's do fitness and health community. And we really had no idea that we were starting something that would become a international uh, event. Well, the highway department wasn't that receptive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they said, no, no, no. <laughs> and so I remember it was sort of like, and it wasn't just no, it was hell no. They did not want to be bothered. And so I backed up and said, okay, well, there's more than one way to skin this cat. And Dewey Wise was a friend of mine, and Dewey was a state senator from Mount Pleasant and he's a lawyer and um, and still lives in the area by the way and so I went to Dewey and told him what the situation was and Dewey ushered a resolution through the legislature 
directing the highway department to uh, close the bridge and worked it through the legislature. And then once the legislature had a resolution, really permitting that, you know, they weren't directing the highway department, I don't think, as much as they were permitting the highway department to close the bridge, um, you know, for something like this. And um, and they, I think they just designated that it would be like the last Saturday in uh, March or the first Saturday in April. The first race was a pretty inexpensive <laughs> race in terms of what it would cost the participant. Three dollars, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't we we didn't know what we were doing in that regard. You know, we just sort of put the word out there, and we wanted to have a, a T-shirt, and so basically we just, um, you know, the entry fee was the price of the T-shirt. In the beginning, the bridge ride didn't have two nickels to rub together. I mean, we went from there. And all of a sudden, being a multi-million-dollar organization, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, I think our budget right now is probably a couple of million dollars. In those early days, it was borne by the institutions. You know, in other words, the city of Charleston, because of the police involvement and all the things they did, and their and their staff who were involved, and everything. I mean, really, it represented a cost to them. Now, of course, they could look down the line and see that this was going to bring in money to the city or to Mount Pleasant or, you know, the various things. So they would all eventually benefit. But in the beginning, they were having some costs that we didn't have to come up with the money. There was a lot. In other words, there's a lot of in-kind contributions And later on, when we decided to, instead of rotating the director every year, we wanted to get a permanent director. I remember Gilbert Bradham, who was representing MUSC on the board at the time. Gilbert was a surgeon at MUSC, and he and I were long-term friends. And we were talking about, well, who would be the best person to do this job? Gilbert said, I got the perfect guy. He said, Julian's. <laughs> And I said, "Hey, you're right. Julian is a perfect guy." And of course, he turned out to be ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Julian was the race director for, gosh, twenty, twenty-five years or so mm-hmm. before he passed with, with brain cancer. Right. That I mean, losing Julian was a, was a, I mean, a terrible blow because I, I mean, yeah, we got the run started, we moved it along. Julian actually was a participant even back in the early days because he was over at the Student Wellness Center at MUSC and we did a lot of the activities relating to the bridge run like pickup of packets and you know stuff like that at the wellness center so Julian even before he became race director was very much involved and that was one of the reasons why Gilbert Bradham you know knew how much Julian had been involved in the fact that and I had known Julian You know, for years, I mean, as Julian had had a number of different jobs at MUSC, and you know, we had worked on things together, and you know, I mean, so I knew that you uh, how capable Julian was, and um, and so when Gilbert brought that up, I mean, I said, oh yeah, you're absolutely right. 
he would be great. Does he want to do it? He says, yeah, I've talked to him. He'd like to do it. <laughs> and to me, when Julian got into that position and started visiting all the other races in the country, the major races, and bringing back things and his ability to get out. And, you know, he basically was was doing in a, in a broader sense what I did at the beginning. Because like you said, at the beginning there, we didn't have internet. And so I really had to go around and make appointments with all these people, you know, and go and see them. I mean, it was very time consuming, you know, to get this thing going and, you know, keep everybody in line because it wasn't as easy to communicate back then. But there were a lot of telephone calls and, and business. Well, Julia just took that on to a higher level. And, I mean, he, 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 I think, was far and away the longest serving race director of a major race in the United States. And, um, and the things he brought in that went on to be successful as part of the Bridge Runner He was always so generous. He always, um, I was never a really good runner, but I was always someone who would run. By that, I mean, I was never fast. I never got below a nine minute mile, but I did um, 27 races in part because Julian would always call me and always made me feel so much a part of the running communities. Julian was a special person and we were just lucky to to, um, to find him and, and get him in the right position. When the run is over, you go back and you analyze what went on and then you get things ready and, you know, and by the time the next race comes, you're just throwing the switches, right. you know. But a lot of those were switches that were established while Julian was the uh, race director. He always used to introduce me at things, you know, saying, you know, I was the father of the bridge run. Well, after Julian got sick, I wrote an editorial, which the paper published, in which I said that that Julian was the father of the bridge run, of the modern, <laughs> of the modern wow. bridge run. Mm-hmm. And then Julian introduced me one time. He said, Dr. Newberry said, I'm the father of bridge run, so that makes him the godfather. <laughs> 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 so we always... He and I always had a lot of laughs. Cooper River Bridge Run has world-class appeal, bringing the best runners from around the world to Charleston. And I just wondered how you connected to those runners and, and what made this particular race so appealing to them? Well, I think because it's in the spring, it's in Charleston. Uh, the bridge is a little bit of a challenge, you know, even for, for elite runners from other places talk about the friendliness of the weekend in Charleston. And, you know, I think that's also another advantage of the fact that I think the Charleston area, and this include the entire area, the Charleston area really believe, I mean, they, they know they, it's their run. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, people turn out, if, if you run, you know, you're running down King Street or wherever. I mean, there are people out there, you know, cheering you on. <clears throat> you have uh, uh, the festive type thing at the end of the race. You know, oh, yeah. there in Marion Square. And, I mean, people comment about the fact that um, 
um, that is a friendly, friendly place to come, and everybody seems to be supportive of the run. Um, and, you know, and along the way, things happen, like Oprah Winfrey coming to run it one year. Oprah yeah. made her appearance, and I imagine um, that didn't hurt the race at all. No, not at all. One of the big things in the beginning was whether we would have sponsorships. Because once once people started seeing that this was going to be an economic event, then there were people, there were entities out there, commercial entities, that wanted to be sponsors. And the board or the committee at the time, they really wanted to do that because they said, look, if we... If we get sponsors, then we can start having elite runners and, you know, really grow this thing. And I must admit, I was a little bit of a, of a uh, wet blanket about that because I said, no, 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 we, we, we're doing this thing for the local, <laughs> for the local community. Right. <laughs> we're, we're just trying to promote fitness and health. They turned around and, and, um, named a trophy at the board and they named a trophy after me where the number one male and female runner to finish in the race who resides in the low country gets the Marcus Newberry trophy. <laughs> How does that make you feel, Dr. Newberry? Well, I mean, I was really very honored. Uh, but I think what they were looking at is they were honoring my commitment to making it serve the community. So they did it in a way that the number one male and female <laughs> runner from the who resides in the low country wouldn't be pushed out by all these elite runners. And, you know, so I tell people, look, if you have a chance, sign up and walk. It's fun. You can talk to other people while you're doing it. It's a very festive type thing. Yeah. And, of course, it's really only a race. Or the people up front. You know, everybody else is out just having a good time. When you see that river, I think is one way to describe it, a river of people pouring into Charleston across that finish line, what are your thoughts knowing that this event is the result of certainly the collaboration of a lot of different entities, but really because you were one of the first people to push it forward? Yeah, I, I feel, of course, very honored and gratified, but you know, I just happened to be there and happened to be in a position where I could pull it off. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, and, and I was willing to do it because I thought it would provide something to the community in terms of promoting fitness and health. And, and of course, back in the 1970s, you know, that was the, one of the big things that was growing was that was that medicine was not just treating people after they got sick. It was trying to keep people from being sick. And Lord knows uh, this pandemic has certainly taught us a lesson in that. Uh, um, you know, as I said, I, it, just, it just grieves, it just makes my heart grieve to see people who say they won't get vaccinated. I mean, unless they have a good reason, like, previous reactions or allergies, it is clearly the most effective way to prevent the infection. And it's uh, bothersome that in this day and time, there'll be people who, who, who just won't accept that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but I, uh, uh, I'll get off my soapbox. No, I, I enjoy watching you up on your soapbox, and I'm listening intently, as, as will others. Dr. Newberry, as you continue to do lots of work in the community, do you agree humbly that you have given the community an amazing gift in this Cooper River Bridge run? Well, yeah, I mean, but I think the community, in other words, I can sort of set it up, but the community had to rise to the occasion. In fact, David Quick, uh, you probably know David. Yes. Newspaper, David asked me, I think it was for the 40th anniversary, he asked me, he said, did you think that they would, the bridge run would be, become what it did in the last 40 years? And I said, yeah, I sort of expected that it might. I said, what I didn't expect was that I would be here to see it. Well, Dr. Marcus Newberry, it has been so much fun to speak with you about this amazing idea that continues to be a part of your legacy and a part of what makes this community so special. Well, thank you very much for your interest and, um, and I, I appreciate the, the opportunity to talk about it. That's it for this episode of Let's Talk. Let's Talk is produced by David Dixon and Eric Johnson. I'm the host, Carolyn Murray. We welcome your comments and advice on our podcast, so please write a review and share the link with others. Thanks again for listening to Let's Talk. Goodbye until the next time. Bye.